Welcome to Dungeons & Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and today I'm talking about building worthwhile adventures for high-level characters. Today's episode is brought to you from a question asked by one of my Patreon supporters. While currently, supporters are donating to just help fund the podcast itself, I'm always willing to take their feedback and questions and talk about them on the show. As support continues to grow, it'll be easier to devote more time to creating monsters, adventural modules, and other bonus content. If you'd like to help make this content a reality, then head on over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. Welcome! Take a seat anywhere. We'll be right with you. As I said in the intro, we're going to take a question directly from Patreon and really dig into it today. So, without further ado, let's just start with the question itself. One of my supporters asks, I would love to know your thoughts on leveling up and how to pace it th properly throughout a campaign. I found that gameplay passed around levels 9 to 10 is somewhat constricting in terms of the stories I can reasonably tell while still posing danger to the party. The more the PCs level up, the harder it is to tell smaller stories, and I feel like I have to hold back on level ups so that the story beats I have planned aren't just blown through without the tension they would normally have for lower level characters. At a certain point, it feels like only world-ending threats are the only thing that I can reliably be a challenge to players from both a plot and encounter standpoint. Would love to know if you had similar experiences, and if so, how you would handle it. So I'll be a little honest and say that I've only had like two campaigns, I've only been a part of two, maybe three campaigns that got to quote kind of reasonably high level. One of them started uh, at a much higher level base. This was 3.5 edition, so you could use templates and racial adjustments. So while my character level, I think, only got to like level three or so, effectively I was fighting at like ninth level because I had six levels of racial adjustments, <laughs> which was kind of ridiculous. And I hope to eventually take that old character and uh, run them to a villain at some point because they're, it was an evil campaign. It didn't last too terribly long, um, but... It was a fun evil character, and I think I personally enjoy making bad guys for other players to use than playing in an evil campaign myself. But the other campaigns, uh, one was actually a pretty long campaign that ran for about a year and a half, two years. I think got to at least 12 or 15. Um, I don't have any of those character sheets, though. There's that, that thing happens occasionally where you lose, like, a whole box of really important stuff, but it's just one box during a move from house to house. And I lost a box that had all of my like original dice that I had not like the first dice I ever played with, but most of the ones that I cared about at the time and had to restart my dice collection for, uh, as well as tons of character sheets and maps and encounters and monsters and drawings and art and all sorts of stuff related to D&D, &D, as well as a few other sentimental tokens. I have no idea where that box went, but that character is long gone, so I'm not entirely sure what level they were. But I'm, I'm it was a long enough campaign, and we were dealing with some pretty high content. It was kind of a modern esque style campaign with magic and like a modern apocalypse scenario sort of thing it was really super cool and there was a ton of fun in it i was a player in that one as well so i've not personally dm'd i, I have dm'd one campaign that got to high level uh that was a future tech campaign like a space game that ran up to probably level 16 or so and that was a that was a really fun campaign that had a, a single player uh, and myself. So it was a solo campaign from one to sixteen that we played 
pretty much every night or every other night. So I was I was spending my days every single day prepping for what the next piece of adventure could be. But I only had to prep like 30, 45 minutes or so. Uh, I was my roommate at the time. So it was a lot easier to to do that sort of planning and playing on a more consistent basis. But back to the question, I have done a few adventures and I totally understand this sentiment. So the the easy one is your complaint, which is world-ending baddies trying to end the world. It's pretty simple. It doesn't require too terribly much in the way of deep interconnected planning. It's some XYZ entity trying to destroy or take over XYZ area or the whole planet or whatever, and they have certain means that they need to do so, maybe items they need to acquire, or they're just a lich and they're just going to continue sending hordes of zombies and skeletons all over the place until they win. And so it's very easy to have a singular entity that is a danger to the parties and the world at large. Because when you're reaching... It starts at around 10th level, you're right. And as you move up, you start getting a lot more access to being able to travel the world very easily. So it's hard to force the characters into a seafaring expedition if they have access to be able to use teleport circles all over the world, right? So I think some things to think about, and of course it's difficult as a DM to know every spell. If you're a long time, really long time player who's played a lot of wizards, then you probably have a much better idea. But I find that as a DM, it can be hard to memorize every single spell that clerics and wizards can cast to be able to prepare for the types of challenges that they can throw at you by having access to these spells. Uh, How does teleport actually work? And how, how can you leverage that into your campaign and how can you defend against it in a way that keeps you from just saying, oh, the bad guy has anti-teleport runes all over this place. And so maybe they do, but to have to keep from having to do that uh, as a piece of improv to just sort of like railroad your players into a no. So it, it can be really hard to know what all types of power a character is going to be able to throw at you. And in 5e, it's a pretty high amount of power that continues to scale. So it's difficult to plan for these things in the early game. You're worried about planning for early adventures. How are they going to get their first levels? How are they going to progress? One of the first ways that I could say you can handle this type of story is Uh, there's a really interesting video on Matt Colville about railroading and player agency and that a linear story is not railroading. Telling a player no is, right? So where if the players say, well, we want to go west and your story is the plot is in the east and you say, no, you have to go east or you walk on the road and you wander around and suddenly find yourself going east magically, that's railroading. But allowing them to go do whatever they want and your plot continues without them is not railroading, right? So in doing this, in building a some bullet points of a linear plot, it can be interesting to think about what that plot would look like and what its conclusion is and what level the players should be to conclude that plot, right? And when you do this, you can actually... There's there's a couple of ways to do it. And to me, they're both kind of the same, at least in how I do them, is the um, 
it's not landmark. It's the XP style where you get to, you don't get experience for monsters. You don't get experience just for killing things. You get XP at certain points when you hit them. Milestone. Milestone advancement. That's uh, the type of XP that I'm talking about. So milestone advancement is a way to help uh, understand what levels players should be for certain encounters. You don't have to plan out every single encounter that's going to take them from 1 to 20 or wherever your campaign ends. But if you have certain key encounters that you would like for the players to hit along the way, maybe there's a, you know an Illithid camp here or a dragon encounter there, and you want to make sure that the players are of an appropriate level to handle that encounter, then you may want to plot those down and just see what other types of filler you would have to put in to get them to that level, right? You can roughly calculate the XP of a dungeon's traps and monsters and the value of gold within it and just say, I'm going to need, you know, 4,000 points of experience from X to Y before I allow a Y encounter to happen, right? So a little bit of pre-planning, at least for your major plot points and your major encounters that you want to throw in there, can go a long way. Now, of course, this does run the risk of overplanning and players either coming up with ideas that are just too cool to ignore that take the adventure in a different direction and maybe change the plot entirely, or actually just going in and doing things that muck up your story and make it so that these things can't happen anymore. This is, I think, in my personal opinion, totally allowable, and that's why I try not to overplan, but have a rough idea of where I would like things to be. And I can always go back and adjust that encounter. If that encounter doesn't happen for three or four more levels and something in the plot has significantly changed that would alter that encounter, then that gives me an opportunity to go back and look and see that maybe the dragon is no longer around because, you know, somehow the players were able to hire, you know, adventure, other adventurers to handle a situation or somehow an item discouraged it from being there or they got the plot device that the guy was looking for and so all these other plot points kind of fall apart from that that perspective right but then i can go back and look and say okay well what would these characters do or can i make this encounter different but still have the same impact so i think some pre-planning and considering milestone advancement is something that you can do on the flip side like I said, milestone advancement can basically be looked at as regular XP where players get experience for killing monsters and doing quests and different things like that. Because honestly, you can almost turn regular XP into milestone advancement through this same kind of planning, right? Now, this doesn't account for players just going off and trying to kill 10,000 rats, but I tend to say that at a certain level, if things are too far of a CR below your character, you're not really learning anything from killing them. Like, at level 15, you, you're you not getting anything from killing rats. Like, it's just not happening, right? Um, and even if you do, it still takes a really long time to, to get enough XP to, to level up to again. And doing that for five more levels is going to be... You're going to kill every rat on the planet. <laughs> so, But... Um, yeah, so looking at your regular XP rewards and your encounters to see what is what is an adequate encounter and how many encounters are they going to take to get to the next level, just to have an understanding of how many plot points you might need or how many plot points you have with the current understanding of all of the characters. I always try to ask players to—they don't have to, like, turn in their character sheets to me, and it's a lot easier to do this on the online tools where you can just always view them. But 
in a situation where like I'm always very open to communicating with my players and understanding what direction do you want to take your character? What spells and abilities is your character going to get? That way I can go look at them and just understand if I've got 5,000 XP from left to the next level, then how many encounters can I build knowing about what your character is going to do? Like, there's probably not going to be too many huge surprises in abilities or spells that the character has access to that I can't then understand and prepare for in some sense to make sure that I'm making combat challenging and exciting. But I think that combat encounters are probably the easiest part of this to solve. I think there's some interesting things that you can do as a DM and some things that are overlooked that we'll get into in a little bit. But I think more often than not, it's how to get the story to those plot points, right? How do we plan for it? And what other types of things can we use other than big bad thing trying to destroy big whole planet, right? Uh, And one of the things that I think is a little overlooked is how, at least in modern editions of D&D, is how absolutely dangerous and wild really deep ancient dungeons can be. Ancient dungeons can be super deadly, you know, the it, it doesn't matter if you can see the trap, the trap is a puzzle, the whole room's gonna fill with acid or lava or, you know, something that a lot of things can deal heavy amounts of damage over time to characters and make them a threat, and it may not be possible to always just fly out of a scenario, especially because dungeons in large ways are going to be enclosed, even if it's a, a tower or if it's underground or wherever. Having things like fly and teleport may not be super helpful when the stuff that you need is at the bottom of the dungeon and you have no other way but down to get there, right? And there's a lot of ways that you can almost force players to have to be at high level to be able to grow and shrink in size to fit through, you know, six-inch-wide hallways that lead to the next section of the dungeon, right? Or or as an alternate path through the dungeon, having lots of various ways to get through and lots of kind of Armageddon-level traps within a small space can be something that's been left behind in a world that maybe used to have uh, a very high-level, you know, magic user who went crazy and built a dungeon here— And the items that are there may not necessarily be in danger of, you know, ending the world on a timer, but just could be something used as political gain where one country or tribe wants to make sure that another country or tribe doesn't have access to it, or you're able to perform this archaeological dig and and recover a bunch of, you know, wild magic items so that they can use it for their own gains. Which brings politics into question. I think that politics is always a really interesting way to provide a number of situations for the characters that you can build up over time. It's easy for characters to get kind of their first ally, right? The mayor of the first town, the king of the first kingdom, or lords, and as they work their way up, you know, from mayor to lord to king, and maybe like they operate as kind of a special forces unit for that country. And then they find another country that, you know, they get stuck in for a while. They're still low to mid-level, so they have to make do, and they have to find and make alliances there. And the more alliances that they make, the more entangled those alliances get, the more you can leverage that for story, 
and in a sense that can give them something other than just a big bad guy to go after, or even a simple answer. The more entangled these alliances are, as the players are trying to achieve their goals, find ways to put those goals in between their alliances. It doesn't have to be like a super hard ultimatum choice, but just in a sense that is going to be precarious for them to wander through. If they choose to go delve into the ancient dungeon and get this artifact, if they're discovered by the adventurers and delvers hired by the other country whom they're also allied with, then how is that going to change things? They don't want to kill these adventurers because they're allied with that side, but they also don't want them to get the item because they don't know if it's going to spark a war on one side or the other. And I think that war in general is something that players have a hard time, or characters rather, would have a hard time dealing with as individuals, right? Even as a party of four or six players, they can't be everywhere at once. And so if this war gets set off, what battlefronts are they going to take? What losses are they going to accept? What about the first town that they ever adventured to that's a super small town and maybe not significant, but to them has a lot of of emotional significance? It's under threat at the same time as a major city on the continent. Are they going to split the party? Are they going to allow the small town to be taken over and try to come back later and save as many as they can? Are they going to use their teleports and their gates and their planar jumps to try to rescue all the people before the army gets there and leave it a ghost town so that they can do something else? Having to be in more place, more places than one at a time and having the players in a situation where they have to make these difficult choices because everything has a simultaneous consequence is something that can really drive a lot of that same sense of urgency and that same sort of anxiety, the, the, the kind of anxiety that you would get at low level fighting your first three or four skeletons as, you know, a level two or three party that you know has this, like, risk of death behind it. You can get that same kind of tension from a game by offering too many choices that all have consequences and not to say that you want to offer like 20 options or anything but i really look to i think the XCOM titles uh both do this pretty well where it of course it is kind of a big world in the scenario but in the interim gameplay in the loop you're always presented with like one more choice than what you can really handle unless you do just a rock star job, right? If you have a solid plan and you execute on that plan and you knock it out of the park, then maybe you can get to all three locations and and have a positive outcome on all three. But if you don't, even with a mildly good plan, one of these things is going to go wrong before you can get to it. And I think that tension is one of those key elements in a campaign that is easy to create at low level because the players cannot mind wipe the king, right? <laughs> and the because they can't do that, because that's not an option on the table, it's easy to cause tension from other characters of power in sociopolitical ways or in combat. And in later levels, the players have access to more and more options. So it, to keep the tension up, you kind of have to give them more and more choices and ways to use those options. 
and probably more often than not, ways to get themselves into trouble. Players have a great tendency of just getting themselves into sticky situations because they make one plan and think that one plan is enough and assume they will roll nat 20s on every roll and therefore will succeed in under a minute and be done. Uh, tracking spells for longer combat, like and spells and abilities that last a minute, it is great to tell a player that they they're even if they'd be aware of it like you're tracking your fly spell and it's going to end next turn and you're 70 80 feet in the air so you got to get to the ground or you've got to cast something else and they suddenly go wait i thought it lasted a minute like yeah we're on turn 10 to 11 right and ways to extend combat is don't necessarily just have one big you know bullet sponge enemy or spell sponge enemy in this case and instead have waves of combat like getting combat to last more than 10 rounds without exhausting the players by having things happen or, you know, combat slows down for a little bit while the next wave of troops runs up. The characters may have a minute outside of combat before the next combat event starts and initiative is re-rolled or carried on from there. And this can time out a lot of spells and bring that tension back up. That's just kind of a little thing that I was thinking about there. But on to more world tension. So I've discussed this on earlier episodes, but another way to build this tension and give the characters too many options to handle in a small localized area is extreme weather events, right? So volcanoes, hurricanes, tornadoes, meteor storms, uh, magical spell storms, right? These kinds of things can wreak havoc on an individual location, and even a small or medium-sized city think about even the town that you live in, it, it really almost doesn't matter the size, could four people help everyone in the town recover from a disaster? Uh, if you're in a big city, then how are even four superheroes going to stop every building from collapsing when they're all when there's a massive earthquake and everything is getting torn to shreds everywhere? How do the players handle that kind of situation? In this, in this situation, we swing the pendulum from one more choice than the players can handle to past beyond extreme choice overload, right? Like you don't, choice overload can happen between about three to six options. That can be too many. But if we push the pendulum far out to the extreme and say that there are hundreds of different things going on in this city as, as a large city is undergoing an earthquake and the earthquake's not stopping, the wizard tower is falling, the castle is cracking, there's, you know, all manner of buildings that are crumbling and falling, uh, wells and sewers are exploding, water is coming in everywhere, the dam is cracking in the distance, threatening to flood the town after this earthquake is over. Now there are so many things going on that it demands that the characters identify what is the most important to them, which feeds you that information, right? That's information that you now know is that, okay, these are the things that are most important to the players, and there's probably going to be some collateral damage involved, but how can we handle that? How can you deal with healing this many people when the town's clerics were already stressed and you have one 15th level healer in your party, right? You're not going to heal everyone, but... Now you can leverage these higher level resources. Can you lean on alliances to bring in clerics from other towns? 
can you recruit some sort of national guard or other elite specialists to come and help with the cleanup efforts and things like that natural disasters are a big place to leverage ideas from and whether that natural disaster is totally natural or was actually caused by some big bad entity trying to take over the world is up to you Another way that you can step in and try to understand what's a threat in the world that could challenge your players is whether you use them in the campaign or not, it can be a fun experiment to roll up a party of opposing alignment and maybe even similar uh, like class build out to the players and think, what would this adventuring party try to accomplish in the world? I don't think that most 15th level players or 10 to 15 level players are out to take over the whole world, right? But they are out to make profit. They are out to resolve backstories and find rare magical items and get more power. And I think that thinking like an opposing party, whether, again, you can use them, it's a fun challenge to throw players against an intelligent party of characters that are not just beasts that have ulterior motives. I think that's something that is difficult to transition to as well, and something I think DMs should take some time to practice in the lower levels, but is think like the monsters. Think like the creatures and enemies that you are throwing at the players, and understand that beasts are probably going to try to run away before they die. And, you know, as you play with that and move on with that, other characters are going to play intelligently. An opposing party has no problem using Dimension Door to get away and finding a way to build a teleport circle to get back to their base and regroup and try to scry on the players and understand what they're, where they are, where they're going, what are the players trying to get and how can they get to it first. And that they're going to play intelligently. And playing an intelligent enemy makes a lot of difference. They may hire assassins. They may pay off other royalty to send the players on a wild goose chase and offer a huge sum of gold as a reward for finding something that doesn't exist or exploring the dungeon to clear out all of the monsters so that the evil party can get in and swoop in at the last second, right? So any number of things like this. Taking prisoners is a great way. Like an actual prison break at medium to high level well, that's going to be a higher, medium to higher level security prison. So there's always a fun adventure is is finding a way to capture and detain players. They probably aren't going to want to kill every single city guard, especially when the city guard of higher level cities includes higher level wizards and higher level clerics that can combat the party and go toe to toe in that sort of situation, right? A couple of other combat ideas while we're in this area is why fight one CR-20 when you can fight four CR-10s? That's the, the same kind of encounter level. And what happens when some a high-level monster that was like a boss monster at an earlier level, now there's more than one of them? How does their combat tactics change, and how do they operate as a unit or multiple different types of high-level CR creatures when their abilities could only, when they were a single creature and more like a boss fight, you play them one way. But now that they're minions, how will they chain their attacks or leverage the special abilities off of each other to create a really interesting and dynamic battle? 
So I've got two uh, more examples of some ideas that you can play around with at medium to high level. So at ultra high level, we'll go there. If your characters are all level 20, they're already pretty close to being a god, right? But what if the characters want to gain more power, the next logical step is ascension, right? To enter the ethereal plane or the astral plane or wherever as a god. What is that going to look like for the player? They're going to have to have worshippers and temples built. They may have to have legendary artifacts or items. They may have to uh, play a political game with the gods. There's tons and tons of stories in D&D of different gods warring with each other and finding champions and gaining certain magical items or tricking each other to try to gain power. It's all a power struggle on a higher level. And you can put the players there for uh, a, a chunk of a campaign or, you know, pieces of adventure and then allow them to take the place of one of the deities. Every campaign has to come to an end eventually. And if the players don't want to live off their lives on a farm in the Feywild, just enjoying their time, then maybe having them ascend to like demigoddom and let them absolve themselves of their character at that point could be really fun. And while it may be narcissistic, rolling up their next character as a warlock whose patron is their previous character could be super fun. And, or, you know, a cleric or a paladin or anything like that could be a really fun and interesting way of reintroducing some elements from the last campaign into your next one. And okay, maybe I was like, maybe I have like two, like three total things. Anyway, we're just, I'm just going to keep going. I got a couple extra things that I want to talk about. And one is I brought it up a couple of times, but didn't discuss it and totally meant to. And that's planar travel. So just because they are medium to high level does not mean that they are invincible. And so many of the planes and realms operate so differently from like the prime material plane that they can be a threat to just move through or exist within right and so if the players have to track something across multiple planes or pick up different pieces of evidence from multiple planes or have to fight something in another plane that doesn't mean that that thing is threatening the main world it just means that they have to go somewhere that's very dangerous to them to accomplish the next rung of their story so Putting them in, you know, the plane of fire where everything is on fire all the time and it's all lava and it's all hot is, you know, something that you can do to throw your players a, a pretty big hefty chunk of now you feel low level again because the base environment is so dangerous that you can't climb a mountain without taking burning fire damage while you're going all the way up. You're going to need to pack elemental resistances and potions and spells that are going to have to handle this type of situation. And almost all of the planes can operate like this. They can There can be gentle, fun, interesting places. That doesn't have to mean that every plane is a death trap to a low-level party. But the type of adventure and the type of challenges that you're going to throw at a party are going to be a lot higher. The DCs for everything are going to be higher if, you know, they and the players will not balk at that as much if they feel like the entire realm is constantly a threat to them. They'll be okay with some of like, yeah, the climb check on the burning fire lava mountain probably is a higher climb check than the grassy knolls that we're used to, right? 
So throwing them into an alternate plane for a chunk of their journey or as a shortcut, maybe it's a harder but faster path to get them to their destination, right? And if they travel between the planes, maybe it halves the distance between here and there, but increases the danger and the types of checks that they have to take on their way there. And lastly, I think I'm going to offer as an actual like whole adventure hook for a medium to medium high level party that can be really fun is there is I, I was just thinking kind of along the lines of types of disasters that I would consider high to medium level in the real world, right? Like what are things that become newsworthy that are big events but are not one country is about to go to war with another, right? And one of the things that I thought about was like uh, miners trapped in a mine somewhere, like a, a, a large mine that collapses, or uh, a submarine that has gone lost, or an airplane that's crashed, and survivors need rescued, right? So let's say that there is a dwarven city that has built a new machine of war, a large 20 or 30 foot long submarine with weapons and research equipment and the ability to access underwater mines, right? Maybe I've played Subnautica recently, maybe not. And, but what happens is the sub goes missing and the, the, the Dwarven city has lost contact they want their people back. They've got some of their brightest minds and best technicians on the sub, and the sub itself is very important and valuable. So the players have to first locate a submarine that could be anywhere in a 50-mile circle somewhere in the deep ocean. So you've got to get there. You've got to find it. You've got to avoid leviathans and giant sea monsters on your way to it. You've got to rescue the crew and a hefty bonus will be provided if you can return the sub and the valuable equipment inside of it at you know with as little damage to the, the vehicle as possible. So do the players repair the sub and find time to bring food and oxygen to keep the sailors alive, making trips back and forth? Do they jump everybody off the sub and bring them through an elemental plane back to the city? Or do they find a way to you know, anchor teleport devices all over the submarine itself and bring it back in one giant piece. You know, there's so many ways. And all of these things you don't have to figure out. You just say, there's a submarine sunk at the bottom of the ocean that has 15 dwarves on it. We want it back. And that's that's it. The players have to figure everything out from there. Like, it's okay to not know how to resolve an issue as long as you think it should be something that is reasonably solvable for the players. The players in this situation could ask, well, you've made a really big one. Do you, have you made a smaller sub? And I may not have planned for that. But now suddenly, yes, of course, the Storven City has access to several smaller research subs that could just coincidentally fit a party of four plus their one really weird druid animal friend. And... Or enough gear and supplies to help make the journey possible. If that's something that the players want to do, the, your players will tell you what they want to do through the ideas that they have, right? Their first idea is probably the thing that they kind of want to do the most. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea or the best idea, but it's what they want to do. And if that's the way they want to go about this... You know, maybe that sub requires a rental fee, and it's pretty likely that if something took out a sub that's three times bigger than this one, then that that rental fee is going to have a hefty down payment on it as well, because the Dwarven City is not going to think 
that they're going to be coming back alive. I think all in all, my advice is to look at real-world scenarios and think about what the level requirements of resolving those scenarios kind of would be from a party's standpoint, right? Think about things like drug cartels and mob bosses are not world-ending scenarios, but they're pretty powerful and require pretty powerful parties and, and chunks of resources to go after. They may not want to rule the world, they may just want to rule this city and make sure that they can keep their money coming in. And they may have access to really powerful weapons and access to high-level assassins and adventurers that they can hire to make sure that they can keep things a secret. Someone that doesn't want to be found can be a far more difficult and interesting encounter than a lich that wants to be known as king of the world, right? So think about disasters, think about situations, and what do they require? Do they require whole armies and invasions of countries? Do they require National Guard and Coast Guard? Do they require just a few police and fire departments to come together? Is it something that just a single detective can handle? And all of these situations can have ways that the players can participate at low and high level— Maybe they can be one of the assistants for the fire team that's going out to fight the forest fire caused by a single fire elemental that's somehow gotten loose. Where does it come from? Why is it in the middle of a forest? And how do we stop it from burning everything, right? And that can be an adventure hook all the way up to the single detective is a very high-level character who's investigating the a high-profile murder of a client that he can't even disclose because... If people knew that the princess was dead, then there would be a political shift that he can't have happen yet until he can find and capture the murderer and or possibly buy enough time for the clerics to successfully cast Ray's dead on the princess and bring her back or something, right? So you can have high-level adventures with mundane means by simply upping the ante of the situation and... You can have low-level adventures in high, you know, anti-areas where the adventurers are simply assisting in a small but possibly key location or way that gets them some information or maybe uh, a little bit of exposition for a future adventure hook. The low-level party of second-level characters is not intended to fight and defeat the fire elemental. What they're intended to do is just know that a fire elemental was the source. And nobody else really is trying to talk about that. They're trying to keep it hush-hush. Because why? Is there a tear in the, the elemental plane of fire that could be letting things through, setting up plot hooks and points that you can then experience later on when you get to those higher levels and go to the plane of fire? There's a ton of ways that you can kind of drop these hints. And I think that you can do this with ninth or 10th level players as well by exposing them to you know, a smaller mission where they're not intended to fight the gods at level 9 or 10, but there is a key strategic point that the gods are warring over, or a key item that one is trying to get for another, or is hidden from another, or something like that, that the players are simply supposed to go retrieve, involve themselves in this larger plot to get information from it, but the goal of the plot is not to stop the end of the world, Maybe just to stop the gods from fighting with each other, which causes enough havoc as is. So anyway, I hope that this has helped answer your question 
And if any of you listening have topics of discussion that you would like for me to bring up on the podcast, you're always welcome to try to hit me up on Twitter at anddinners, uh, or if you donate to my Patreon at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners, that's A-N-D, dinners, um, then there's always a pretty good chance that I'll have a conversation with you. I'm, of course, going to have a conversation with you on Twitter as well. Tons of people have been tweeting at me recently to all of my recent Twitter followers and people who have taken the opportunity and the chance on giving this podcast a listen. Thank you all so much. All of my listeners love all of you. And I just want to say that I really respect and appreciate all the support that I've gotten recently. It's been such a blast. I love running this show. I love making this show. And we'll hopefully have some other really cool guests on soon. I'm in talks with a few people. And I think that uh, hopefully you guys are going to really enjoy that. In the meantime, if you'd like to hear more from me on topics outside of D&D, such as video games and why gaming matters, then I highly recommend you check out my other podcast called Pick Up Your Sticks. I co-host it with my longtime friend, Walker Near. We've had on some really cool guests. We talk about video games from old and new alike, as well as have on developers, streamers, and content creators of all sorts. So go to give them a check out. Pick Up Your Sticks on all major podcast platforms. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you all. Thank you all so much, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.